What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, talking about the series against the Phillies. It's a bit of an international episode for you guys. Uh, I'm currently still in London. It's incredibly hot in my hotel room, as it was the last time. James is in Tulum, Mexico, I believe. I don't think I'm doxing you by saying that, but how's the weather over there? It looks it looks nice behind you. For those of you on YouTube, you see like a, a very foresty background. It looks very like tropical. We're not a forest. We're lush here. We're in the jungle. I'm in a, an Airbnb with some friends here in Tulum. Just came straight from the beach to get you guys this episode because there's a lot of a lot of mess stuff going on, but it's been wonderful here. It's like, it's so hot. Like I don't think I've ever experienced heat like this in my entire life. Like it's a hundred degrees with like 80% humidity. Like you walk outside and you regret even wearing a shirt for a second. I have bizarre tan lines all over my body from things I never would have ever expected to get tan lines from over this week. Like, you know how, um, just, just, just to be, have some fun with the listeners for a few minutes before all the, all the sad stuff, you know, that like belt bag I wear, like that side bag I wear yes. when we go out. So I was wearing that we were biking around a lot on Friday. And um, it was just hot. I was biking. I was like, if I bike for eight seconds in this shirt, it's going to be rendered useless. Like it's going to be just dripping in sweat. So I'm just take off the shirt, hang out, bike, had the belt bag. When I got back on Thursday night, Friday night, I have the most insane line through my back from that belt bag, just complete line of white through the red all over my back. I got crazy tan lines and sandals on my feet. It's the heat here is amazing. Beautiful place though. Amazing food. I think I've had like 200 tacos in 72 hours. It's amazing. But yeah, now I guess the mats. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about London real quick. The the hotel still doesn't have air conditioning. We're in a new one for this one, and it's just so insanely hot. I, I've spoke to everyone, though. It's very common to not have AC in the hotels just because they don't really need it for 10 months out of the year. So it's just kind of a waste outside. Like If there was a balcony where I could sleep, I'd be sleeping outside every single night. It's been great, like 65, but that cold air will just not come through the window because they only let you open a crack. Only let you open a crack. The fan's not doing anything. It's my complaints. That's my complaints. I need to get it out there. I've been saying it to my my friends I'm here with every day. I'm like, next year, when the Mets are in London, there's no shot we're getting a hotel without air conditioning. We are getting the AC. I'm not doing this again. This is, I'll never take air conditioning for granted again. Again, even if it's 75, I'll use it. It's the best. But enough about our hotel problems. And I mean, well, you have good problems. I have hot problems here, but no, I'm, let's I'm go ahead and- uh, It's a dream, but yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this Mets series here. Of course, you guys know where to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Mets Up. If you're looking for the YouTube version, go to the New York Mets YouTube channel, subscribe over there. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. We do appreciate all you guys listening. We know that as the season has gone on more and more, I mean, this is a tough series. This is a tough series. There's no way around it, especially to lose the way that we did in game three, which was a bit of just rip your heart out of your chest. It was a tough one. Nothing's really been going great. It's, it's it's been difficult in Mets world, and you know the season is not getting any short or it's not getting any longer. So it's gonna have to turn around soon. I'm hoping that they do. I mean, there's like Lindor swinging the bat well. Lindor seems to be a little bit back to where we can expect him to be. But like, man, it feels hard to even pull out like the the positives without like talking about the real elephant in the room, which is that we are struggling. No, we're struggling really bad. You look at the series as a whole, like the two games you lost were mostly due to unforced errors. Miscommunications, not not lack of execution. Like the way the bullpen imploded on Sunday was just I it felt it felt like a fever dream. It was it was just it's just ridiculous. It was terrible. It was just so hard so hard to watch this team right now. It's difficult to take in these games and 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 like see a path forward. Especially as you said, like every single series the season gets that much shorter. This was another series where you're playing against a team that you are chasing. A team that the Mets have who's the Mets have had their number for the last couple of years now. And to lose in the way you do when you 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 
you implode in an inning. You only you only give up one hit. It's like where 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 do you go from here? Yeah, I mean, uh, in game three too, like Brett Beatty had that tough play with the error and the tough throw to McNeil where the ball kind of got stuck in his hand and that extended the inning a little bit more. And then Brigham hit some guys and it's like, I got to say it, it's you can't put the blame on any one player, any one person. It's just like as a whole, the team simply just like has to play better. And I feel like this team should be better. They need to play better. It's just when is it going to happen right now? I mean, shout out to that specific instance, just to be more general talking about this, like Brett Beatty said to Tim Healy, this loss is completely on me. And it's yeah. pretty unbelievable that someone who's still a rookie in this league in their early 20s is taking such incredible accountability. And Jeff Brigham did implode. You guys you guys know how much I love Jeff Brigham. He completely fell apart in that inning. He was, he like, the, the hit bats, the Kyle Schwarber hit bats with two strikes was well, after the strikeout of Cody Clemens, even after the error, was such a gut punch. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a, it's a thing that we've been saying, but like, there's there's nobody dogging it. There's no one not playing hard. There's no one who's not trying. It looks like, like, nobody doesn't care. Like, they all very much care a lot. This is their job. A lot of guys are like, fighting to get you know bigger contracts get more money whatever it's going to be on this team and i know that they know that they should be playing better it's just we we start seeing it on the field like that's just kind of how it is like uh, as many mistakes as have been made super cliche but it's like we got to be able to put this past us now because it's what how many games into the season are we right now we're like close to 80 right uh that's a 35 and 42 which is 77 so we're close to the halfway point and the Mets are seven-ish games under 500. A bit back in the wild card, very much back in the National League East. There's not a whole lot of time to continue the quality of play that has been happening. I think this team has players that can definitely turn it around, that can make this performance or turn these performances into wins. Think about how many games recently have been very winnable, and it's just like one or two little things couldn't go our way. We didn't execute or whatever it was. So it's like, you know, in another world, the Mets are playing maybe okay baseball right now, but it's it's got to happen soon. It's got to happen soon, and I they're they're pushing they're pushing for sure no and that that is the most frustrating part about this entire stretch of baseball is that the Mets continue to play these games where it feels like they're in a good position to win them and it feels like games that the team we knew and loved last year would have won them like Sunday the Mets got Zach Wheeler the Mets got nine hits on Zach Wheeler in less than six innings a good carryover effect from last year the Mets hit Zach Wheeler incredibly well after really struggling with Wheeler his first year uh, two years in Philadelphia you're like yeah okay six three lead like we got it and even going back to the game on Friday night like you're like you're getting you get a good pitching performance from Kodai Sanga after a pretty disastrous first inning. He really settles in nicely. A couple times this year, he's done that after those slow starts. And then Nimmo weirdly dropped that ball to let the floodgates open in the first inning. And then he he hit the home run later, which I think that's a weird thing that Brandon Nimmo loves to do. Where if he does like make a mistake, like his his like disappointedness himself and his focus like magnifies, and he does something great later in the game. I think he got a big hit in the Yankee game after he dropped the pop up as well, or like uh, last month, but or not last month. That was only two weeks ago. See, like see how the time like time is moving. I'm like, what the heck. But then you have that weird miscommunication between Pham and Lindor where same and also same thing as Beatty on Sunday, where Francisco Lindor went to the media and he took complete full responsibility of that ball. He was like, That's on me. Like there's a man on third. We had a miscommunication. I always tell my outfielders that's my ball, like unless I'm unless unless they can really call me off. And he went for it hard and he was like, That's totally fine. Like, that's okay, no big deal. But it's just it's just always just something, some push and pull that's going on here. It's not it's not easy. It's not easy to play, put these plays together to win these games like it felt last year. Yeah, no, and I, I got to say, like, I didn't expect to be having these kind of episodes on June 25th. Like, when we're recording this, I didn't expect to be in this, having these conversations. Like, what what do we do from here? What go? What's next? How do they, how do they get to where they were? Because we know how great last season was, and it was probably going to be impossible to be as good as it was last year in the regular season. That has nothing to do with even the, what the team was. It's just like winning 100, and ga- 100 plus games is like really, really hard. It doesn't happen often. 
But to be as far back as they are, it, it really stinks. I know you Mets fans at home feel it. Like I'm, everybody feels it. Everybody feels it. Nobody's feeling great right now. Nobody is feeling good about this one. But I don't know. Like there's, I mean, even still, like I, we're going to pull some positives, obviously, from some of the stuff that's happening too. So let's go ahead and start talking about some of the games a little bit more in depth now. Game one, we talked about, you know, some of the big moments. Kodai Sang on the mound going up against Taiwan Walker. The Mets just didn't really hit Taiwan as well. Like there just wasn't a lot of offense there. One run scored. Taiwan's doing that thing where he gets hot in the middle of the year right before the All-Star break ran into him and we just we didn't score more runs in the Phillies like there was obviously the plays that happened that altered this game a little bit but at the end of the day like just just got to hit more those games are going to happen it just feels worse when the team is struggling yeah definitely so one thing the positive pull from this game was nice to hear Wayne Randazzo announce a Mets game yes Miss Wayne old, old friend of the program just great guy that we see around the ballpark and he's having having a great season announcing Angels games out there as that team gets more exciting I guess actually that's kind of a segue maybe we should talk about what happened before this game yeah, let's talk about it. That's actually a good point. Let's talk about uh, the trade that happened between the Mets and the Angels. Mets and the Angels made a trade Friday afternoon, just before this game began. Mets sent Eduardo Escobar to Los Angeles, Anaheim, I guess, for pr- two pitching prospects, Coleman Crow and Landon Marceau. And I don't think it can be lost what how I mean how much fun Eduardo Escobar was as a member of the Mets. I remember when the signing happened, you were incredibly excited. One of your favorite players around the league. He's just he's always had some of the best vibes in professional baseball, and he brought that like. In like in spades to the New York Mets clubhouse and organization, like he like the folk with the Chow story is going to go down in Mets lore for years to come. We're going to hear about that forever. SNY is going to keep that clip going every single year when it happens. <laughs> when they had this little his party uh, early last year for his ten years of service time, and he had like his big bottle, like that was just a great moment for like players, like you know, getting uh, guaranteeing your pension there. Shout out also to the Mets social media team, like because all the TikToks with Eduardo Escobar over the last year have been so so incredible, and just like the bits that they were able to build out with him, where like two more minutes. Five more minutes, ten minutes. I come back in ten minutes. I yeah. think of something. I come back. Like it's just, it was. He was great content. He was. He was so much fun on and off the field. On the field, I'll always remember that cycle he hit for the Midnight Mets in San Diego. Mets first cycled in ten years back when, uh, before, since Scott Harrison did it in two thousand twelve. He's a fun player. He's a, he's a he had a fun little year and a half with the Mets, and one that one that I don't think I'll forget anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, Eduardo Escobar will be one of those guys that, like you said, we always remember as Mets fans, like just a genuinely good dude. I'll tell like one of my favorite stories personally with Eduardo was when I was at the World Baseball Classic watching Venezuela versus Israel. I'm not saying anything like we've obviously seen Eduardo a couple times, said hello, very nice guy in person. But you you sometimes like unless you meet a guy, you're like, he's probably not going to know who I am. He's not going to remember me, any of that kind of stuff. And I'm standing up behind the dugout. He looks at me, goes, hey, man, what's up? And I'm like, me? Are you pointing at me? Like I did like a double take. Like, are you sure? Like looking around, is there someone else? He's like, yeah, man, you, how you doing? Thanks for coming. I'm like, oh, dude, like that to me is so cool that even though we've basically had no interactions, just from seeing us like around the stadium, around the field, the fact that he felt like the need to say hello or he wanted to say hello just shows you how good of a guy he is, how good of a teammate he was. Everybody always had the incredible, incredible things to say about him. The stories that you hear just like, you know, from teammates and stuff. He's he's an awesome dude. We're going to miss him. But of course, wish them the best out in Los Angeles with the Angels. Go make the playoffs with the Angels. I'd love to see Mike Trout and Otani play some September or October baseball, which would be very, very cool. Let's talk about those prospects, though, that we got back. Coleman Crow, Landon Marceau, you're the pitching guy. I know you're going to have a little something for me on both of these guys, I'm sure. Landon Marceau, I believe, was an LSU draft pick out of maybe 2019. Coleman Crow came out of where exactly? Do you know? 
Yeah, I have, I have a lot on Coleman Crow because Coleman Crow is just someone who I've been aware of for the last about year-ish just as playing in my very, very deep dynasty leagues. Just always want to find those pitching prospects. He's going to be the next guy to jump up a list. And he uh, he's had a very, very interesting path to this point as a minor league player. First of all, he was he was kind of a, a lanky, a lanky smaller dude coming out of high school. 5'10", 160 pounds, shortstop pitcher, Georgia boy down there. He was committed to Kennesaw State, actually. And the Angels draft him the 28th round of 2019, which you see like a 28th round draft pick who's 5'10", 165, soaking wet. You're probably not going to think very much of him, especially when he only tops out like in the in the low 90s. But as a 28th round pick, the Angels gave him a $317,000 signing bonus in, wow. in 2019. And that's kind of ridiculous, especially because that's like comparable to like the slot value of a fifth round pick. And... It actually makes sense when I looked at it, got into deep into that draft board last night because he actually got the fifth highest signing bonus for any Angel in the 2019 class. So the Angels kind of took him very late because I think a lot of people assumed as he dropped in the draft, he wasn't going to come out and they actually did get him to sign. He was their sixth latest player draft that did wind up signing with them and the latest that was a high schooler. So they definitely saw something out of him. And I think the big thing to saw out of him, which I see out of him when I pitch, is that he is just a stupendous athlete stupendous athlete on the mound like he is so like compact and powerful and athletic and he's he can like here's a great quote from the fan grass write-up of the angel system from only about a week ago which is very very timely which i appreciate he's really a fantastic on-mound athlete who can repeat his mechanics with robotic consistency and i think when you watch him that's the number one thing you can see and that even makes it more perplexing because when he was drafted in 2019 out of high school he went straight to their complex didn't play any professional games then 2020 happened he lost basically 2 years of playing professional baseball drafted in 2019 he did not throw a professional pitch until 2021 and then he had an okay season down there wow. in a ball for the a's and they sent him right to the arizona fall league after that the arizona fall league we were at in 2021 he was the youngest pitcher there at 20 years old and he had a 1.59 era and 1.0 whip in 17 innings. So incredibly aggressive, they put him there. But in putting him there that year, they kind of said, you're someone who we think could be a major league pitcher sooner rather than later. And the way he started out this season, it kind of felt like that was going to happen. We've seen how aggressive the Angels have been with all of their prospects over the last like year and a half as they try to push all their chips in as this last year of Shohei Otani's first contract with um, Sam Bachman. We've seen Ben Joyce come up, Zach Neto right after the draft. Yep. It's, it's pretty great saying what they're doing. And the way Crow started this year, it looked like he was going to be another member of that cohort. He only made four starts of the year. We had 36% strikeout rate, 7% walk rate, 15% swing strike rate. Those were some of the best marks in the Eastern League. But then he went in the IL in May with elbow inflammation. And there hasn't really been much said about him since. And just by watching him this year and like reading some scouts uh, reports on him, his stuff is so unbelievably legit. It's like not even funny, even at his size with his levels of velocity. We should bear in mind that in the Southern League this year, they were using the new enhanced grip baseballs that MLB is experimenting with. And we've seen guys like Andrew Abbott and Ben Brown, who I think we've talked about briefly in this podcast, yeah. run up really incredible high, high strikeout numbers and low walk numbers with that. But Crow's walk and strikeout numbers are basically the same as those guys, getting a lot of, more, a little, more, couple more call strikes than them and a little less swing strikes, but still the same results at the end of the day. He has what is very enviable right now from starting pitches in baseball where he has that low arm slot fastball with an incredibly flat vertical approach angle. You guys in YouTube, I'm coming in very flat to the camera right now in my hand, if you can see that. And that creates this incredible, incredible, incredible rising, writhing, hopping action on his four-seam fastball, which allows it to really stay out of danger and get a lot of whiffs, even topping out at 92 or 93 miles an hour. 
So that even in itself right there, having those physics is piss that fastball on a whole different level, especially with that velocity. But the best thing that he has is two really distinct and really, really disgusting breaking balls, a curveball and a slider. They're both genuinely nasty. I threw up a tweet uh, Sunday morning, if you guys want to check out. I found a long video from earlier this year about someone basically just going through all of Coleman Crow's pitches. And he even has a changeup that's coming along. And his calling card, all the scouts have always said, has been his command. So he's able to work both sides of the plate, high low in the zone, fastballs, changeups, breaking balls. He's, I really think if we can get, if we can figure out what's going on with his, with his elbow issue, like the, he's someone who is high potential, high floor, and probably a really, really, really good guy for this organization. No, I love that. And I mean, being able to flip Eduardo Escobar guy who, again, we liked him, but like relatively speaking, Brett Beatty plays third base for this team. He is the future. And Eduardo Escobar has an expiring contract, probably wasn't coming back if we had to take a guess. So being able to flip him for a couple pitching prospects that could make an impact at some point. I mean, that's that's a really good move. That's a really good move. I know like, you know, people on all over Twitter have different takes here and there, but your breakdown of Coleman Crow was really good. And I know because you spoke to me in the past, like what you said about that being a little bit of a shorter guy is actually kind of something people are looking for now with the pitchers. Kind, I'm not going to compare him to Spencer Strider in terms of like stuff like that because that's not fair. But the idea of like that shorter, lower arm slot or whatever that you were saying and that perceived like less drop on his fastball because he's smaller is something that you see with a guy like Spencer Strider that allows him to be so uh, successful. He throws 99, but still 92, 93, like you said, getting those swings and whiffs and getting those strikeouts that he did at the minor leagues is still very impressive. Almost more, honestly, with Definitely. that kind of thing. Totally. And and the, the term is a flat. It's a flat approach angle. It's an approach angle that like gets on the hitters fast and it gives you that rising action. And it, it is very enviable what he's starting out at here. And it's, it's something else we've seen from this Mets uh, pitching development in this past year is guys have added velocity. So if he can even add a tick while maintaining his mechanics and staying healthy, if he can go from like 93, 95, rather 91 to 93. Like you could be looking at a potential like star here. That's amazing. We also should talk about uh, Landon Marceau. He is, he, he's definitely not the same upside and pedigree as Crow, but he is someone who is at least can probably give you major league innings and not be overmatched. He's fastball is not special. It sits around 90, but similar to Crow, he has two distinct breaking balls. Distinct more so in velocity. They have basically the same shape. It's more of a gyro slider, but it has a little bit of sweep and his curveball is also a little bit sweepy, but they have such. They have like oh, they're almost ten difference, uh, 10, 10 mile an hour differential in pin velocity. So they help that helps them be good. He could probably do this and not look out of place. And the one thing I want to mention lastly about this trade that I think is meaningful as the season progresses is that the Mets gave cash to the Angels. They're paying all of Eduardo Escobar's salary besides the the the, mid, the prorated league minimum that the team acquiring has to pay. And I think that is meaningful because they got a, a, a good prospect and another fine prospect out of it. So just like using their own resources and dealing from strength, which is having extra third baseman and having like being able to pay that for money, like it, that that's really important because you got a guy in Coleman Crow who could, if things break right, like he has a toolbox to be a major league starter, and he has upside past that. Yep. It's like that getting that for a half a season of Eduardo Escobar who by all accounts, as is a league average hitter who gets hot and he gets cold, who plays pretty good defense, is a lot of fun to have in the clubhouse. That could be a massive organizational win. No, 100%. Like that's, that's a good process right there. Love to see that. Angels have been making a bunch of moves. We know they got Mike Moustakis too. Has nothing to do with the Mets, but just wanted to kind of put a little bow tie on the end of this Eduardo Escobar conversation. Again, wish, wish the best for Eddie. Hope he does well. Hopes, hope he goes on a run in the postseason with the Angels and uh, you know brings Mike Trout and Shoya Otani to the postseason for us. But... Otherwise, let's get back to the games here. 
Game two, we did win this one, which was nice. Good to get a W on the board. Definitely needed it. We need to get need to get a few more Ws, especially with game three. So it does feel like Max really has turned the corner after those early season struggles. I think a huge part of that is, again, just having the consistency. His ramp up this year was so weird. We've been saying it basically all of the starts now, but it was. It was really bizarre to start, stop, and start, and stop again. And now that he's in a groove, you can really feel that he's getting back to himself. And like Castellanos had a big home run off him. The Phillies scratched one, again, scratched one across in the fifth, but... Max really bared down to get out of it. He got a great, a great strikeout on Bryce Harper, two men out with a little color that just darted out of his own. Bryce was completely stupefied. And we know that Bryce is a guy who doesn't chase very often. And it was, it was really, and he, you saw like the, like the, like kind of the grin on his face. Like when someone gets Bryce Harper, he lets you know it. Like he's a very, he's got, he's got a lot of gamesmanship about him. Like he's, he's a really, he's a really nice jerk. Like that's kind of the best way to describe yeah. Bryce Harper, like especially on the baseball field. So he like gave a little grin. He was like, yeah, Max got me. I know Max got me, but he got his fastball in 97. Max Scherzer on Saturday. It sat 94. That was his primary pitch. His slider wasn't as as great as it was his last start out in Houston, but it was still very good. He did something cool that I thought Max Scherzer did in this one. Was He dropped one slider to a lefty the entire game, and it was a two-strike pitch that froze Kyle Schwarber in the first inning and got yeah, him a strikeout. Cool. Backwards K. And the final line, six innings, two earned, eight strikeouts, one walk, 14 whiffs. It was a great game. He put in position to win. And then right after he did give up that run in the fifth that tied the game, the Mets jumped right back on the Phillies in the top of the sixth and took one right back. And it was kind of interesting how we even got it because Pete, he had the big game on Sunday. He'd been really struggling his first week back off the IL after the wrist injury he had gotten in Atlanta. And he legged out like a fielder's choice to get us the go-ahead run. And you kind of felt like that was a moment where he could like, like relax, get that, get that big hit, yeah. get that just big play off his chest, like get a win with not his bat, like with his legs and like, like putting in position to win with hustle definitely had him feeling good. No, hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's good to see Max Scherzer pitching. Well, it was good to see the team swinging the bat. Well, I had a busy day too. Cause I was at the London series watching the Cubs versus the Cardinals and then got to watch the Mets game, which a win is always nice. That's always a great way to, you know, wrap up a night for me. It was good. That was a very clean game. Like I felt very, very good going into you know, game three on Sunday, I was like a good pitching performance. The offense showed up like things went well. This is what can happen for us. I also want to shout out starting Marte, the big home run, the first inning of this game to give the Mets a lead. He has been so incredible in his career at Citizens Bank Park. Are you aware of these splits it. by Starling Marte? He nearly has a 400 batting average, 170 oh OPS plus, one of his highest of any ballpark in the league, his highest of any ballpark that he has more than 10 games played in. It's He owns Citizens Bank Park, and it was cool to see him get that big hit. He's even starting to swing the bat much better these, next, these last few weeks as well. No, 100%. It feels like since he really came back healthy, he's been swinging it a lot better. I think his average was hovering around 300 from that point on. I know for the season it's not there, but I know he was like over a 20 game stretch. I think he was hovering around 300, which is the Starling Marte. Like we know he's not going to hit a lot of home runs, although he got the one here, extra base hits here and there, but he's going to be hitting for average like he does, setting up that top of the lineup with Brandon Nimmo, which is good. And you can see like when the guys at the top perform, the Mets score runs, they win. Definitely. And this game did end with some great performances by the bullpen. Brooks Raley, who's been. Saving Grace, his ballpoint all year was amazing. Then David Robertson came in in the eighth inning to clean up a uh, jam that Adam Alavino got into. And then he, he th- a 13-pitch five-out save. Like, could you even imagine that? Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen a five-out save that short, like, in my entire life. Very efficient. No, never. And he's, he's been great this year. He's one of the best relievers in the National League. Like, David, I can't even imagine where he would be without Robertson. But then you went to Sunday after feeling good, and you, you, you take a lead on Zach Wheeler. Then we talked everything about what happened there. And it's just every, every time this team takes, like, five steps forward, it just feels like there's 10 more steps back. And it's just, you got to, like, it's gotta, some, something's got to happen soon. Like, something's got to happen. Got to find a way. Yeah. I mean, got to find a way. It was 
They needed a lot of the bullpen today because Carrasco did not go deep into this one. And obviously the bullpen is also hurting because there's the absence of Drew Smith because of the sticky stuff sub suspension, which then makes the bullpen even shorter because you're not allowed to fill that spot on the roster because of the suspension. So you're now one less pitcher out there. We definitely felt it, definitely felt in this one. It was just like at one point we were trying to figure out who could go out there, trying to scrap it all together, you know, piece it all together and try and figure out how can we get to the ninth inning, win this game. And it just didn't end up working out. Like you said, I mean, we we don't need to harp on it too much more. We kind of talked about game three at the beginning. It just, it sucks. It really sucks. Like it stinks that when we go have a lead like that going late into a game against a division rival, a team that we're chasing, just can't cl- shut the door. It's, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. It was really hard. And I do want to uh, have a call to action too with messed up listeners. And also just shout out again, Mark said it before, but everyone, you guys who comes back to this podcast, when the team's playing like this, we genuinely love you guys. Cause this is, this is, this podcast is incredibly fun to do, but in times like this, it, it, it can become a little difficult because like everyone knows, like we do want to like the, the, like the Mets are making us sad right now. There's no other way to describe it. And like, you wish they were playing better. You know, they can play better and it's hard, but the original messed up listeners we've talked about our buddy ernie on this show a lot i'm on this trip with him we're having a great time in mexico together but ernie did something that is really not okay last summer and mark and i have been struggling with how to talk to him about it and i want you guys to help us so basically ernie grew up he was venezuelan he grew up near miami and he became a big marlins fan as they won that world series when he was very young and he's venezuelan miguel cabrera was the best player in the league and he really loved him so after Miguel Cabrera left, he kind of lost his Marlins fandom in a way and just kind of became a general baseball fan, but still supported the Marlins more than anybody else. And now he's lived in New York City for about six years. He, Mark and I are some of his best friends. We talk about the Mets. We go to tons of games. We probably go to 15, 20 games, Mets games with him a year. So basically, in the middle of last year, he was like, guys, like, I, think, I think I'm becoming a Mets fan. And like on the outside, Mark and I are like, oh, cool, you're becoming a Mets fan. Like That's fun. But on the inside, we all know that you you can't, you don't like become a Mets fan. Like you are a Mets fan. Like this is, this is, this is a cult. Like we're, we're inside of this. Like we are lifers. Like we are Mets fans. We are passionate. We are rabid. We are crazy. Like that is what we are. That's what this team was built on. Just incredible, incessant fans who are just ready to do anything they can for this team. So Mark said that we were like, cool, but I don't think that's that cool, but we're not finding ways to tell him. And like, as he's become a Mets fan, now this is his first full year of being a Mets fan. It's clear there's some kind of curse. Like there's a pox on this team and this roster, like, and it's a big problem. So now we're getting to like a fever pitch where it's like, we can't let him continue to be a Mets fan. And the inverse of this, the funniest part is that the Miami Marlins, John's Miami Marlins are having their best season in more than a decade, almost like basically in 20 years, they're having their best year right now. And and he's not a party to it anymore. He left them, and they're doing great. And he came to us, and we have fallen down. So I want to ask you guys. We asked you guys to do this a few years ago because he's just the biggest Jonathan VR fan in the world. He always loved Jonathan VR. He literally customized a, a Mets jersey for Jonathan VR's name in 2021. <laughs> literally went to the team store and did it. It was an unbelievable thing. He has this video. But I want you guys to help us maybe try to convince our friend Ernie to like the Marlins again. So whenever the Marlins are playing well, anytime they do good things, I want you guys to hit them up on Twitter. And his Twitter, I'm going to say it a few times slowly for you, is at subtape underscore. That's S-U-B-T-A-P-E underscore. S-U-B-T-A-P-E underscore. And just really casually, just just send him cool Marlins highlights. Maybe tell him how well the Marlins are doing right now. Just like Yuri Perez being one of the best pitchers in the league. Luis Rise hitting 400. Tell him tell him about how many like great things to go to that Marlins team. So maybe maybe we can just get him back to that team and save this season. I'm calling on you guys to do it. So please let, let me know. Yeah, Ernie's a. I love the kid. Love the kid. He's a sweetheart. 
He would never do anything to hurt anyone. But boy, never. oh boy, is he a mush right now. He's such a mush. It's it's crazy how bad he's mushed. And you like like you said, we did that entire episode last year going over like how to reverse bad luck, all that good stuff. We're, we're trying anything. We're trying anything in our power to get the juju going in the right direction so that this season can turn around because we, we've said it a couple times. There's not many games. The, the games aren't getting longer. There isn't much more season that's going to exist after tomorrow, the next day. It gets shorter and shorter. Need to turn around soon. Maybe, maybe it's Ernie's fault. I'd like to blame Ernie. I, and it you is. know what? I think he'd be okay with it. He's a fan of the podcast. I'm sure he's happy that we're, we're talking about him at least. 100%. But I, again, I don't think he's going to listen to this because we're on vacation. He's going to miss this episode. There's a great time for all of you listeners to just get in and just hit him up hit him up with some Marlins highlights. Like if you find a Luisa Rye's graphic, be like, wow, this is amazing. How much fun are the Marlins? Or Yuri Perez, oh my gosh, 20 years old. Look how low his ERA is. Just like any anytime you see a highlight, a video, anything, just tag him in it. Tag him in it or just send it right to him. And it could be killing two birds with one stone. Mets play better, Marlins play worse. I'm in. There you go. Exactly, I'm in on that. Exactly. That, I mean, that, that's my that's my goal, my ambition here. Just, what, what a blessing for this Mets team. They're not we're not playing the Marlins until Aaron Rodgers is gonna <laughs> be play, play two games for the Jets. But all yeah. right, let's go ahead and uh let's bring in John here to do the estimate for us for this upcoming series against the Brewers. I know he has a fun one for us. We have uh Johnny Fatherhood over there. How's how's the life treating you, John? Good guys. I mean, you know, obviously the weekend could have been a little better, but I'm glad we all enjoyed our weekends. You guys on vacation, me enjoying my daughter. Life's good, right? You gotta, you gotta roll with the punches. So, uh, everyone hang in there, I guess. I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's, it sucks, right? It sucks. It, sucks. it, sucks, it does kind of suck right now, John. It definitely kind of sucks. It sucks. But, uh, yeah, Mark, you mentioned it. I was just doing a little, uh, reading ahead of the series against the Brewers and was looking at Colin Ray, realized didn't pitch in the bigs last year, pitched in Japan. So I said, okay, I wonder what team it was for. Turns out he pitched for the SoftBank Hawks, which means that Colin Ray and Kodai Senga were actually teammates last year. Then I went back and I saw Colin Ray went on MLB Network during the offseason and actually talked about Kodai Senga before he wound up signing with the Mets. So a fun little connection there. Ray pitches on Monday. Senga will pitch at some point. It's a four-game series with Milwaukee. So both are going to start in the series. So Estimen, by the way, Mark, congrats on your on getting off the schneid the last one. There were 14 two-out hits. Uh, so seven, seven by each team. I told you guys going in that the Phillies were very good in two-strike situations. Mets don't strike out much, put the ball in play in two-strike situations. So Mark, you're now down by two, making a, making a game out of it. And we did say we're going to cut this at the All-Star break, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So this is this is this is crunch time here. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for this estimate, and then you guys will get into the series uh, series preview. I want you guys to tell me how many combined whiffs will there be by the two former SoftBank Hawks teammates, Kodai Senga and Colin Ray. Okay, I'm gonna need a little help here because my internet in this hotel is so awful, and I know I know you Ooh. guys are experiencing it. Help. But no, I need a little help. I just need to know. What are like? What's like the whiff rate of these guys? Just give me like a, a rough estimate. All right, I'll tell you right now. Colin Ray's whiff rate on the season. I'm on his page right now. Is twenty three point five percent. Okay, twenty three point five. So that's ju- a hair a hair below league average. And Kodai Sanga. I'm gonna guess. I'm just gonna do a pure guess right now. I'm gonna guess twenty nine, but I'm gonna search my baseball savant right now and see if I can find it. Mark, you've been watching the College World Series at all? Oh, yeah. I mean, me and James are uh, really hoping Florida Gators can come fans. through. Yeah, big Gators fans right now. Uh, Pete Alonzo is a great guy, so we're supporting his team as Loyals Mets fans. 
and it definitely has nothing to do with anything else. But we just we want the Gators to win for Pete. That's what it is. Carly saying his Whiffer is twenty nine point one percent. Wow. Hey, okay, there we go. Wait, James, last question. Whiff rate is like swings swings and misses on every only swings. that you throw. Yes. Or no, no, no. That's swinging strike rate. It's just the times you swing and the times you miss. But we're not doing rates here. We're only doing how many times you swing yeah, yeah. and miss. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of get an idea of like what's going on. Yeah, there. just Ooh, my totals. guess could be bad. I also I want to um, shout out one other thing in the world in the college world series because we've I've been watching college baseball a lot this year probably more than I ever have in my life it's, pre- it's pretty electric like top to bottom and Florida might have one of the most exciting players that college baseball has seen basically in our lifetimes Jack Caglione he's the Italian Otani he throws <laughs> upper nineties from the left side and like was near the top of all Division one players in home runs this year he I think he also had the most batted balls over 115 and 118 miles per hour in all division one baseball. The guy is a freak of nature, potential number one overall pick in next year's 2024 draft. So much fun. He just broke the college BB core record for most home runs in a season today. He hit a home run against LSU in game number two. So he now has the most home runs by a BB core bat player uh, in college world in college baseball ever. Caglione, baby. Love him. I got a number. I don't, I don't know if this is going to be a good or bad guess. We'll, we'll tell by James's laugh. I really don't know what to do with whiffs, but I just got one. (laughs) All right. I'm ready to. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. 18. 19. Not even oh. the delay could stop another. <laughs> you guys have been on point. It's been great. Yeah, we have. That's been awesome. Oof. I was honestly going to say 19. I went 18 last second because I thought you were going to go so high that I was going to get like an extra. Actually, no, was, yeah, that's totally opposite logical. I would have actually thought. So I, was I, wrong. Don't wanna, I don't want to say this last one. I thought you guys way undershot it with seven and eight. And I think you guys way undershot it again. Kodai Senga can get 19 himself. In he a, can. In, yeah, easily, easily. But we'll see. That's why we play the game. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I'm I have the higher me. number. I'm glad I'm the over, man. That's where I belong. I'm the over. My first instinct was 20. I should have stuck with it. Whatever. It happens. Wait, right, do guys. you want to hear what my first instinct was? Yeah. Let's hear it. 21. Ooh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so we would have been one away anyway. But yeah, there you go. John, thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. Go spend some time with your daughter, and we'll catch you this week at City Field yep. when we get back you guys from our vacations. Later, See ya. James, let's go ahead and preview that series. Tell us a little bit about the Brewers pitchers that we're going to be seeing. We're going to see four pitchers, and we're hilariously going to see three guys who are very similar in a way, and then Freddy Peralta, who's like kind of a modern pitcher. But we're going to see Colin Ray on Monday, Julio Terran, imagine that, on Tuesday, and Wade Miley on Wednesday. So the Mets are going to go three games into the series and not see a pitch above 91 miles an hour before the fifth or sixth inning, whenever the Brewers' first reliever comes in. And um, I I guess that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Julio Tehran right now is getting really good results, just throwing the kitchen sink, not striking anybody out, but also not walking anybody, just not pitching for it's been years. And just the Brewers just (laughs) found him out of nowhere and just were like, please give us some innings. He was like, I'll give you some innings. I got it. I'd I'd love to give you some innings. That's all I've ever wanted to do is give someone some innings. Colin Ray, John did mention, came over back from Japan last year. He's someone I kind of liked a lot going through the offseason, going through like dense, like fancy baseball research because I saw, I don't want to, I don't want to misnomer which pitching lab he worked with in the offseason. I believe it was Tread. I'm happy to give them uh, it's just some, some credit because they do great work and they always like hit me up on Twitter and stuff. But he just throw he's a kitchen sink guy, fastball, cutter, slider, curveball, changeup. He's gonna throw all of them. He's gonna mix in a sinker as well. So so, and um, the changeup is a splitter. So you're gonna see six pitches from Colin Ray in his start this week, and they're just they go they go all over the place. And he's gonna it's kind of like um I kind of want to say he's a little bit Bassett-ish, but if, if Bassett was like. 
like 15, 20% worse, but it's just, he throws a lot of stuff at you and he dares you to try and hit it. And then Wade Miley, you guys know Wade Miley. Yeah. Just, he's going to be a lefty. He's going to be really annoying. I'm going to, if, if three balls don't go to the moon, I'm going to, I'm going to throw my remote against the wall. And then Max Scherzer versus Freddy Peralta is definitely the marquee pitching matchup in yes. this series. Peralta's had an up and down season, but he's still, I think pretty good. Probably one of the more underrated guys in terms of in the league, just fastball slider, both awesome. And that, that's just who he is. Yeah, Brewers are a team that are really fighting right now, too, because the Cincinnati Reds don't let them get hot. I mean, they've just taken the National League Central by storm, absolutely dominating with that youth. I, I know they had a little bit of a rough series against the Braves. Braves are good, but the, the Reds have kind of taken over that National League Central. So the Brewers, kind of similar spot with the Mets. Got to start winning some games, because if they don't start winning some games, not making the playoffs. So this is like going to be a very intense series for two teams that are fighting for their for their seasons right now. Definitely, we got smacked by the Brewers when we played them in April. That was a that was a that was a pretty rough series. In a, se- in a season of rough series, that was that was not a good one. And we, I would hope to get back after them because they've definitely tapered off a bit since then. I, I know as bad as Jesse Winker has been over the last few months, I hundred percent guarantee he does something awful to us this series. There's no doubt in my mind. He's been statistically one of the worst hitters yeah. in the league, and he's gonna he's gonna maul us. I'm, I'm not looking forward to it. They just signed one of your favorite bad players in the league, Rymel Tapia, <laughs> which is going to be fun over there. Um, and there's yes. even a weird year for the Brewers where they've just they've really had a lot of injuries and it's been hard for them kind of to stay float, stay uh, you know, stay up in the rotation, stay up with their bullpen. There's a lot of interesting names out there. I mean, you guys know Devin Williams, amazing. Matt Bush is pretty fun. Peter Strzelecki is interesting. Hobie Milner is kind of sounds like a creative player, but he has some kind of fun fun stuff. Um, and we're seeing the whole rotation besides Corbin Burns. So I mean, this 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 broke well. Let's win some baseball games. Yeah, let's win some baseball games. At back at City Field, which is good because we know the Mets play better at home than they do on the road. They like to play in front of the City Field crowd and the Mets faithful. So hopefully you guys can make it out to the stadium, get to, get to cheering, get to being excited. Let's get some some vibes going. We need some positive vibes in Mets world. A lot of negativity right now all over the place on the internet. Need some positive vibes. Bring it with you to the stadium for the Brewers series. Otherwise, James, you got anything else here or is it time to uh, wrap this one up? Got nothing else right there all. All right, let's do it. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. Make sure you follow us on all our social media at MetsUp. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel so you can see the video version of this. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, whatever it is, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download and subscribe. It really does help us out. Follow James on Twitter at James underscore Shiano. Me, Giraffe Neck Mark with a C. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll catch you all after the next series against the Brewers. Bye. Peace out. See you guys next time.